Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of The American Attic, where we deliver dialogue-driven explorations of California history and beyond. Presented by the Sacramento Historical Society and hosted by Eric Swigert, join us as we uncover topics that inspire imagination, inform action, and enrich the present. In this episode of The American Attic, we sit down with a local ambassador of the past whose current efforts at sharing historical insights are surpassed only by his ability to assume the characters, the mannerisms of some of the figures he portrays. A couple of highlights for me was being able to listen to our guest's origin story how he came upon history, and how he interacted with it early in his personal and professional life. And also hearing from our guest what he hopes to leave behind to those that may or may not share his enthusiasm with the past. Along with reenacting early Californian miners, our guest is a writer and a history docent at Deer Creek Hills Preserve in Sacramento's East County. Along with Talking the Talk, our guests literally walks the walk as he leads tours through the rust-colored rolling hills, the groves of California oak, and past artifacts of societies long since past. Suffice it to say, David Sharlak takes a hands-on approach to history, wherever you may find him. Thanks for joining us for one more trip up to the American Attic, and please enjoy this roving and rambling discussion of one man's journey of getting hooked on history. So again, David Sharlak, thank you for joining us on the American Attic podcast today. Um, I We haven't had a discussion yet before, so welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and yeah. um, let me say, I'm kind of flattered that you invited me to the talk, and I, I hope that's going to be valuable for both of us. Yeah, outstanding. I think it will. I think it will. And I thought, you know, in preparing for this discussion, definitely did a little bit of a deep dive. I came across the Blue Oaks Tales, which I'm excited about on the Rancho Murrieta <laughs> today. I found that, did some reading on that. But before we dive into some of those topics, I something in your bio struck me and I wanted to ask about it. You know, everyone finds history in kind of a different way, it seems. They find their enthusiasm for history in a different way. So one of the first questions I wanted to ask kind of at the top was, you know, what what was it about history that most attracted you when you kind of started pursuing it in a in a more determined way, maybe is is a fair way to say it. Um, you know, what what was it that captured you first that that caused you to to um pursue it in in the ways that you are? Well, I'm going to preface by saying that the focus upon history that I have is to a very specific geographical area. I I'm a fan of history and I enjoy exploring history, particularly things from World War II and those interests that were perked uh, by my dad. He was a a veteran before he passed away. Locally, there is an area north of of where my wife and I live. Uh, The area is Deer Creek Hills. And and we'll be talking, I I think, during this podcast uh, a lot about that. Um, And as I moved into this area about 33 years ago, 
started walking around and leaving the the confines of, of this community and going up into Deer Creek Hills. And I was curious about a lot of the things that I saw. And it wasn't soon uh, before I came across the a grave site. It was a family cemetery, a pioneer cemetery. And hmm, that's interesting. And I started to look up some of the names. And it was an entry drug from that point forward. <laughs> yeah. I got to dig deeper, got to find out what was happening, got to find out who owned the land, got to do all the archaeological, I'm sorry, the archival research on newspapers, what I yeah. can find at the Pioneer Library. And it gets into your blood and you, you don't want to drop it. As I was waiting to come online with you this morning, I found myself going through newspaper archives on, online. Just yeah. to kill some time, yeah. Doing more research on this stuff. I so that's that's how I got started. No, and I can I can relate to that entirely. Um, before moving to California, I lived on the uh, East Coast, and so I, I kind of grew up, you know, going to Revolutionary War battlefields. You know, Getty. My parents took me to Gettysburg, so actually visiting the places. It sounds like was a big big part of kind of your introduction, and I I did have a a follow up question because. History's broad, right? It's it's um, events, it's people, um, places. You mentioned Deer Creek. Is there one of those that you think um, that kind of appeals to you more? Is it is it the personalities of of the past that kind of intrigued you, or is it the places like you mentioned? Is it the land the, that you visit, the the battlefields, the historic sites, the ruins, whatever, um, or is it just simply the stories? You know, or, you know, because because there's history so broad, right? Is it one of those maybe subdomains that kind of pulled you more than more than the others? You know, to make it meaningful for me personally, it is a combination of all of that, okay. that those specific locations, if I see that a heavily mined out site at Deer Creek Hills, I'd like to find out why it was mined there. What is this pile of stone over here that is, that is rectangular in shape and seems partly partly destroyed, partly built up? What what is this bottom of the? Why I've got a, a dark piece of glass that's in the the shape of the bottom of a champagne bottle. Yeah, could it be a champagne bottle? If it was, what were they doing drinking champagne at this this mined out site? Who yeah. were these people? What year did that, that that occur? So I'm interested in the people that were there, why they were there, the physical location, uh, why it was they were working this this particular site. Yeah, all of it comes into play. Yeah, no, that's uh, that makes a lot of sense, you know. And it sounds like you've got a pretty healthy curiosity because that you know so much of of historical um, exploration you need an you need an engine. You know, to when you're when you're at when you're looking at seven hours in the archives, you know, you need uh, you need a strong motivation. Is it fair to say that curiosity for you was a big, big motivator? Absolutely. Nice. But there's another driving force. If, if I was just curious in and of itself, um, I probably would have burnt out on this. But the idea of sharing what I've found with others and intriguing their interests, making them want to go out and find out a little bit more and having them share their stories, their family remembrances. That's very rewarding too. So it isn't just the research. It isn't just curiosity. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's great. And you actually just segued perfectly <laughs> into the, uh, 
into the, the next uh, one of one of the questions I, I was um, kicking around before this discussion about um, connecting with you on. And that was, you know, in, in your bio, I think you use the phrase uh, interpreter of history as as a um, as one of the many hats you wear as a um, as a docent at Deer Creek hills and i wanted to ask what that means to you you know interpreter i hear you know you hear it in a lot of context i personally think it's a great word for it but i wanted to hear kind of what that phrase means to you an interpreter of history sure and you know it, 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 i don't think it's a definition that is universally um followed i will tell you what it means to me personally mm-hmm. i think that one can't approach going into any research at all without knowing that you are going to spin whatever it is you find based upon your personal experiences. Now, at a, a kid doing this, you know what? The personal experiences are going to be very limited, and mm-hmm. their interpretation of history is going to be completely colored by a, a lack of depth. Yeah. Uh, but the older you get, the more research you have, the more you can interpret and take the information you have, uh, extrapolate from it some consequences, some, some findings that likely are the case, so long as you know that they're always changeable. And as an interpreter of history, I'm bringing my experiences, my research uh, to what it is I'm sharing with people. But I keep in mind, all of that can change. And yeah. it's, it's remarkable how often you do some research yeah. And then you dig back into the same topic a little bit later and find out somebody had an entirely different spin on it. Yeah. So what you're what you're trying to convey to people right now may not be factual. And I warn people ahead of time, this is the best I can do, folks, and it could change later. And I, I kind of think of it in terms of the scientific methods. You know, you, you take the hypothesis that works the best for you right now, and you're prepared to change it when something better comes along. Yeah. I'm that's uh I haven't heard it phrased just that way, but I love that. And I think any any you know honest historian it would say something similar where you know you're doing with the best with the evidence you have at hand, you know, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> you know, whatever, whether it's a you know, PhD candidate writing their their dissertation, whether it's you know, across the board. I loved how you phrased the um how audiences connection to history can change, you know, very, you know, based on their own biases, you mentioned kids not having a ton of life experience yet. And I I went back to the comment you made a few moments ago about coming across shards of a, a champagne bottle and me being of, of age to consume alcohol, you know, I relate to that way different. My mind goes, what kind of champagne were they drinking? You know, whereas if I was younger and under the age, that would be a whole different you know, they would relate to it differently, it seems. Yeah. In fact, uh, the the champagne bottle, that's, that came to mind because all of that is true. I'm yeah. hiking around in the mind out area with a group of people. And one of the things I love about being a docent is that you find some very knowledgeable people hiking around with you. And in this case, there is a, a well-known historical author and, and history professor uh, named uh, Hurtado. And, um, we were looking at this, the bottom of this bottle, and he said, yeah, this is champagne. And I'm going, really? What, what is champagne doing up here? And he said, well, if you can drink anything you want and you got to haul it up here, would you be hauling water? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, and he had some other things to say, but it's, it, 
puts an interesting perspective on things. Yeah, it, it does. I I I hundred percent agree. And and in that capacity, you know, as an interpreter of history, one who is not just spending time in the archives trying to pursue the story or stories of Deer Creek Hills um, and of the past, you know, you're also doing this. You're share you're sharing it, which is how you know, which is a big part of what we do at the Historical Society. Another question I, I do want to ask in that kind of capacity is that, you know, what, and we've already kind of touched on it, but what do you think are some of the biggest obstacles to contemporary folks, again, lay, uh, lay men, lay, lay women who don't have the experience or background that you have in history, you know, the, again, the amateur enthusiast, you know, what are some obstacles you think they may face to getting enthusiastic about history or or engaging with it in the degree that we we would hope. Yeah, I having not really thought about that that much. Let me tell you the first two things that come to mind. Yeah. One is that in our educational system, history seems to be very superficial. And it is also influenced. Uh, by what may be the, the, the current fad of the time from an historical perspective. For instance, uh, growing up, we have always celebrated Columbus Day. Mm-hmm. Now it's Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm-hmm. Indigenous people certainly are deserving of, of some honor and recognition and acknowledgement, but so is Columbus. Uh, without Columbus, this Columbus fleeing the Inquisition and coming here to this hemisphere, we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Yet our current fad, which I again I use the word superficial, mm-hmm. um, ignores those contributions because of some things that a lot of people, including myself, found derogatory. Mm-hmm. Um, so in growing up with that, there's that skimming of the surface uh, for history so influenced by what is politically correct at the time um, and temporary in nature destroys, I think, an individual from wanting to reach deeper into it. Yeah. Uh, The second aspect that that comes to mind is that there is a competition for time that people have, both adults, but but a lot of, of kids in school age through high school and in college um, they're inundated by competition from electronic entertainment, from, from the media, all things uh, that, that take away the available time to, to research, to get into something, to mm-hmm. dig a little bit deeper. And it doesn't take much, much digging to find that there are other views as to how something came out. I would love to see people say, hmm, that's interesting. There were two tribes on this property. I wonder how those two tribes got got along side by side. And within five minutes, you can find out. But nobody yeah. does that. They're, that interest isn't there because they believe they've got it. All Indians were put upon. Uh, all of them are the, the victims of, of the Caucasian culture that came here. Certainly, they, they were. However, the story is much deeper, and it takes a little bit of critical thinking, which is kind of not encouraged these days. So we have those two aspects that militate against people getting more involved in history, from my perspective. Sure. No, and those are, 
those are very timely, as I think you you noted, you know, those um, some of those challenges that folks have getting, you know, feeling connected to the past. I'm glad you brought up the, you know, some of the, the you mentioned the Columbus Day thing and, and without getting without getting kind of caught in the weeds, so to speak, of that discussion. I did want to touch on kind of what that symbolizes, which I think from what if I'm getting my um terminology correct there's an element of revisionism that happens when looking at the past and you know and I did want to follow up on that kind of that general thought you know it is is there in you know in your experience um with any with any topic you know is there a degree of responsibility that people who work in the historical space have in like reevaluating the past in light of new evidence or something like that and then maybe changing how it's how it's discussed or presented in a contemporary you know setting or or how how does that kind of strike you sure well i think there's it, there's a requirement placed upon us if we are sharing in, if we're doing research just for ourselves there, there's no pain there's no punishment um, there's no cost or damage created to anyone else but once you start sharing that information and people are looking to you who are not familiar with that topic. Mm-hmm. They're looking to you as presenting to them the gospel. They mm-hmm. come to you believing that what you're saying is, is honest and factual. And I, when I'm doing the history at Deer Creek Hills, I encourage people to come up with their own thoughts. And that's really, I, I tell them from the start, this is what we're going to do. Uh, at Deer Creek Hills, there are 85 different sites that have been deemed by the county to be archaeologically significant. Many of those sites have rebar stakes uh, that are, are keyed to what's called a trinomial system that sets forth exactly what this is. And then there's background data on that site, mm-hmm. the photographs. And that those sites need some interpretation. And I've come across those sites and I say, look, folks, we're going to play um, crime scene investigation here. Mm-hmm. We're going to stop and we're going to look around. Now, what is it you see? Do you see? A, I want you to look at those two piles of stone. Take a good look. Walk around them. See what you think. Mm-hmm. And they'll come back and they'll say, well, I mean, they're just piles of rock. And mm-hmm. Maybe somebody picked up the stones and they said, look closer. Are they formed in any shape? Well, they're all falling to the ground, but there seems to be some sort of maybe a U-shape to them. All right. What's U-shape? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And we go dig a little further and further. And, and then do you look around the ground a little closer? What do you see? Well, there's huh, there's some there's a pottery shard here. It's blue and it's white. Okay, what does that mean? Well, somebody brought up some pottery here. It's a cooking heart. Yes, that's what it is. It's a cooking heart. This was a kitchen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, do miners bring up pottery? Well, they had to have something to cook, but pottery? I mean, they they have metal to cook with. What are they going to eat out of metal? But why is pottery here? And then we go into the importance of women in the mining camps, the jobs mm-hmm. that they had, what they brought with them, their cooking. So that's that's why I love to do it. I said yeah. all of this could be different, but this is the this is the accumulation of what we see before us, and it's the logical, responsible outcome of your thought process is the, what you have just discovered. Yeah, 
Well said. I mean, you're getting me excited about, about <laughs> Deer Creek, and I haven't even been up there. I want to go find some pottery. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think you summed, summed it up perfectly. Yeah, just and and that's to give a, a little plug to the historical society. You know, that's something that that was kind of front and center to what we're trying to do, as you know, is to also be an interpreter of the past and as an organization, you know, help interpret the past uh, in a responsible way, which acknowledges the nuance, which acknowledges, you know, mm-hmm. some of what you mentioned. So. Okay. I think there's only uh, a couple other kind of general questions here on, on um, examining the past. And then we can d- take a little bit closer look at, at uh, Deer Creek Hills, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to uh, involve yourself in the past. You've done a lot of them. You know, you've you've spent time in the archives. You know, you spent time in the books, primary sources, secondary sources. You've spent time literally in the field. You know, <laughs> you know, leading these tours, things like that. And you've also written about it. And so I wanted to ask about that. The the multiple touch points you can engage with history. Do you have a a preference between any of them? You know. Uh, I think you mentioned it was very fulfilling to to lead the tours and to get people excited about it. Um, but I want to ask about the writing, you know, because uh, I did read a few of your tales from the Blue Oaks. You know, was that a how did that experience stack up to, you know, compare to the other ways that you you engage with history? Hmm. Well, uh, you started the, the the question by resources and then comparing uh, so I'm going to touch resources first, and then I'm going to uh, compare those two that you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the resources that I find most thrilling and most interesting uh, have to do with the those rare events where somebody comes to the conservancy or comes to me and says, I, I wonder if uh, you're aware of this, or I think this could on your property could be where my grandfather used to mine. Can I come on the property and take a look? Mm-hmm. I have some childhood remembrances or uh, the Solomon Miser family uh, has some relatives and they contact uh, Sacramento Valley Conservancy and they say, I, we've got a woman who's uh, a grandmother, and she says that she remembers visiting the family cemetery. Could, could you show their family what the family cemetery was? They're coming all the way down from Oregon. I said, sure. So we, we get to the family cemetery, uh, Lowell Pioneer Cemetery, mm-hmm. and uh, I see this woman probably in her 80s. She is obviously very emotional looking at the cemetery, and she says, you see those yellow lilies? I remember as a child planting yellow lilies. And wow. <laughs> it, was, it was remarkable, absolutely yeah. remarkable. Um, or the, this guy, I remember Hank Day, also elderly guy. He said, you know, when I was a kid, our, our, our parents worked a mine on this property. And we called it the Martha Washington Mine. And I... Uh, uh, I think it's on the property. Can you take us up to, to this, this area? I'll show you on the topo map where it mm-hmm. was. Sure enough, it was in the, the property. And 
he had such stories to tell. He said, I, my job as a kid was to, to put out fires with a wet burlap bag. You see, my dad would dig into the hillside and he, he lights off some dynamite inside using a long fuse. And uh, that fuse, we'd only come up during the summer months, and that long fuse would always set grass fires. So as soon as that, that stick went off inside the tunnel, I'd be out there to putting the fires out. And I was pretty good at it, but it seems that my dad and mom never forgot the time I dropped the rattlesnake into our well at the campsite. So <laughs> says this and wow. he had a lot of fun, fun remembrances. I and I, I love that. Now, with yeah. regards to, to writing or or giving the you know the 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 talks and all, I really enjoy giving the talks. The, the writing is is it, it, to do it well, and I, I'm far from doing it well. It's it it is time consuming, and you you're doubly trying to make sure that everything you, everything you say is accurate, accurate, and in appropriate context. But I I do like being out there. Yeah, I hope that that young man putting out the fires. I hope he got hazard pay because that's, that's, <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a pretty exciting job. Jeez, Louise. Yeah. It's it, well from from what I read at Blue Blue Oaks, you you uh, you capture the spirit of the pl- without having been to the place. Also, I felt like I was there. So uh, to oh. that that extent, I think you do a great job. I felt like I was standing in the shade of a blue oak, you know, following you on the trail. So um, yeah, really enjoyed well, it. Well, thanks. In, in, in fact, there is in writing that there is a blue oak sitting alone. Uh, on the uh, eastern part of the property, on the top of a knoll, not far from a, a heavily mined out area. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit of a hike to get to it, but it is a blue oak that is majestic. Yeah. It, it is at a location where it drafts the air that's coming up from the, this small valley below it. And mm-hmm. as hot a day as it might be, under that blue oak, it's cool. Nice. And I've, I've always thought of that blue oak as as a sanctuary point uh, where, where one person in particular, the uh, a young survivor of the Donner party, whose name is Elitha Donner, mm-hmm. um, who had badly married a, a scoundrel named Perry McCoon, would go there to escape because her life was just horrible. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty, pretty well assumed. And her husband would, would soon die in a horseback riding accident. Mm-hmm. But this would be that solitary spot with a huge view of the Sacramento area with the air drafting up under the tree. That was the blue oak. That's the tale where I tell people a lot about what's going on as we stand there under that blue oak. So that's how we got the tale, that name of the series. Yeah, no, it's I love the name. And um, for folks who... For folks who haven't read it yet, I'm pretty sure that it's still available on the Rancho Murrieta Today website. I think you can still go and, and view um, view them um, to get a to get a sense, you know, a sense of what the what the space is like. So cha- changing gears a little bit and just kind of focusing in on Deer Creek Hills Preserve a little bit more, and again acknowledging that. I have not been there yet, but it is on my list, especially the more more we talk about it. You know, you're at, at and and remind me, I think it was in your bio, but remind me how long you've been a uh, a docent at the uh, Deer Creek Hills? Sure. I think it's about 17 years now. Wow. And and what is um 
you know, we, we've touched on kind of the broader themes. Is there a specific job description for a docent or are you able to kind sure. of, uh, you know, chart yeah, it yourself? They, there's been a, uh, an, an effort uh, from the beginning and the Deer Creek Hills dates back to 2001 or so um, to bring as many volunteers to the area uh, as there can be. Mm-hmm. And some of those volunteers work in those areas that are really of interest to them. And of those interest areas, there's usually a lead docent. So we have a couple of people that are phenomenally well-skilled at birds and identification of bird songs and habitat. And they share their knowledge. It's just absolutely amazing. We have others that know botany. Others, uh, we have a a highly respected uh, doctor of veterinary medicine that talks about the animals of the area as, as well as the flowers mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and birds. And it, it's just really something. My specialty is history and astronomy. Those are the things that I bring to uh, Deer Creek Hills. And there are, are others, docents will fall in uh, under the lead docent to share their what they have. And whenever you go out there hiking, it's really important to have a lead docent and then we want to make sure we've got at least two other docents in case some some issues arise that require that kind of risk management. Sure. And we will, um, you know, for our listeners, we will include more information on on how they can um, engage with the. And it's the Sacramento Conservancy. That's the- yeah. It's called the Sacramento Valley Conservancy. Okay. And if you uh, went to Google and put in SacramentoValleyConservancy.org or G, you'll get a lot of great information right away. Yeah. Good. Good. And I, I have a uh, in my notes in front of me. I want to ask you at the end of this, kind of what's on what's uh, what's on the agenda. You know, what's coming up next for him? But we can we can get to that at the end. Okay. And and as as a docent there. Well, actually, maybe maybe we can start with a with a different different question because I know this is something that's probably hot on your mind given our historical society event next week. Can you introduce or talk a little bit about Solomon Miser and who who this figure is? You mentioned him briefly a few minutes ago, and I wanted to to touch on that character. Sure, Solomon Miser uh, was a, um, a a young slave driver, and he was working in the in the East Coast states and came up to, oh, born in Ohio, worked to the East Coast, and then later came up to Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this was 1845, 46. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he saw the handwriting on the wall. He mm-hmm. saw that this isn't what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. Uh, he didn't have a concept that there'd be an emancipation proclamation or all. And uh, crops were changing. Uh, he was a specialist in tobacco. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned out that tobacco was getting to be really labor intensive. And not a lot of farmers wanted to hire him anymore to, to work their, their slaves. Mm-hmm. And he decided that uh, after falling in love, that he wanted to go out west and, and uh, start a horse ranch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he and his, his new bride at that time, Isabel, said, go, you have my blessing. Please, nothing happened to you, you come back. So he uh, took the sea route out to the west coast of California and then came inland, loved the area, and decided to to go back and get his wife and, and at that point, newborn son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and going back, he went over Echo Pass, 
Well, it turns out he hits uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and the word gets out that gold has been discovered in California. And he brings a wagon train. He's now the captain of a wagon train. He brings a wagon train to California quite successfully. And he intends to go up looking for gold himself when he breaks down and finds that this isn't bad after all. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't have to go looking for gold. Maybe I can become an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and uh, make make money from the miners. And he goes on and, and uh, he constructs one of California's very first toll roads. He has a, a freight business. He has a, a general store. Uh, he becomes a leader of the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, has um, he hosts uh, raffles and sharpshooting contests and horseback wow. racing. Develops a, a a following in the area. Very hard worker. What makes his life so interesting is that it transcends what was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. He was there when it was still old Mexico, mm-hmm. turning into the tail end of what Mexican governments was like turning into the new state of California. He was there to see the transition of the Mexican land grant system into the Jeffersonian system, Mm -hmm. uh, the patenting of of property. He was there to see what happened to the Indians. He was there to see what happened to the Chinese. It just, he was a focus point on, um, on the history of the area. And one of the things that I I find a little bit disappointing in the fourth grade, California schools focus on California history. And I had, I had offered an opportunity uh, for fourth graders. I had had a nice, simple hike um, offered it to one of the local schools and they, they really weren't interested. They didn't have the teachers involved. There was no funding to do it. Too many risks involved. I'm going, geez, you're really missing out on an opportunity and it's my fault for not explaining it well enough to you. Sorry about that. Well, I, well, I wanted to to ask on that. That was one of the questions I was going to follow up with is um, I have heard, I've heard rumors that there are still Solomon Miser still appears at Deer Creek Hills every now and then. And I, I wanted to, to ask you about that. If, if someone goes to the uh, preserve, is there a chance they might bump into this character? There's a, it's a small chance. Okay. Yeah. And it depends heavily on what drugs you have recently taken. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, I I'm excited. He's, he does in your, you know, you said it very well of just, um, just in the summary that you just gave, it sounds like he lived through very heady times. He saw a lot, you know, if I could get him on the podcast, that'd be great sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I tell you, there's um, Solomon, I understand, is going to make an appearance at the Sacramento Historical Society meeting uh, that's coming up uh, Tuesday evening. And if you can't catch it in person, he may be available by Zoom if he can figure out how that works. Okay. Um, so I would invite people to to kind of check in on that avenue. Uh, outstanding. And we will, uh, the, yeah, this Tuesday, um, I believe it's October 25th. If I have my dates correct, um, keep your eyes peeled, you know, um, <laughs> and more information. We'll, we'll share more information with the listeners on our, on our programs for sure. Um, well, that's great. Yeah, I've, I, I heard you mention his name and I definitely wanted to, to touch on on that character, because for me, going back to a question I asked uh, at the start of this discussion, for me, the people have always been um, 
such a great um, gateway, gateway to history is looking at, you know, taking a thorough look at Teddy Roosevelt, taking a thorough look at, you know, Clara Barton during the, you know, um, Civil War, whoever, you know, sometimes it's people are sometimes the easiest to relate to. And um, yeah, just it's something that I tried to do when I was, I used to be a high school history teacher. And it's something that I tried to do, you know, um, getting people excited about the past, put yourselves in their shoes. What would you do, you know, if you were Solomon Miser or, you know, something like that. So. Yeah. And, and, and incidentally, what made Solomon such an interesting character, mm-hmm. um, I could put my, myself into his shoes. There is enough information to, to have some senses to the real life Solomon Miser and what he was like. Wow. So I, I can explain to people, um, after Solomon makes his appearance Tuesday night, that folks, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's all true. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, and taking a step back from Solomon for a second, I, I did want to ask about, um, you know, as someone who spent a lot of time researching, admittedly, you know, history is, is if you want to communicate it effectively, a lot of what you'll be doing is just research. Um, in your research of the area, you know, the people, the places, the events, and you can pull from anything you've covered in, in the past, anything history related. Was there a moment, you know, when looking into the past that, that you were really surprised by something? Um, and we and we can use definitely use Deer Creek um, as a, a departure point for this question. But something that really grabbed you and surprised you in the past and kind of ch- changed your perceptions a little bit. Yeah, Um it's happened a number of times, but I'll tell you the one that I have found and continue to find most meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it um, affected me so much at that time. I have to take this slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on a hike, and I've it's a longer hike. It's a it's a hot day, about five and a half miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll cover all together. And I had been to a number of, of, of areas uh, with a couple of archaeologists who had done environmental impact reports, uh, the CEQA portions of the environmental impact report, uh, Cultural Environmental Quality Act stuff. And on one of these hikes, one of these locations uh, pointed out to me was a cooking hearth. And the cooking hearth was larger than most of the cooking hearths that I'd come across before. Mm-hmm. And the, archae- the archaeologist I was with from a very respected firm, PAR Environmental, says this is a Chinese cooking hearth. And we know it's Chinese because it closely follows the lithographs of the period in which they're represented. So that's, that's what I knew about. Mm-hmm. So I'm hiking along, and we, we've been on the trail maybe four miles warmer day we're now in the in the shade of some trees up a little valley and i take people to see this cooking hearth and i tell that little bit i just said to you yeah and we're about to walk away when this asian gentleman uh clearly upset by looking at this said with tears in his eyes you don't know You really don't know. And he gave me a little bit of information to research. Mm -hmm. And boy, did I not know. Uh, That cooking hearth 
could be the, the most significant thing on the property. And he said, the Chinese came to California looking for Gansun, Gansun, the, the Golden Mountain. Mm-hmm. And they came here, young men, signing contracts to pay $70, $75 uh, to get them here. Contracts that they would never be able to pay back. And they were fleeing the death and the war and the famine Mm -hmm. uh, of the southern provinces of rebellion in the southern provinces of China. And the only hope that many of them had for their families was to come to the Golden Mountain and get gold back. Mm -hmm. The opportunity to do that seemed really bright. They could be heroes for their families. Their names would would be legends in their families. And yet when they got here, it it all got turned upside down. And, you know, the the Foreign Miners Act, the the fact Chinese couldn't own property, they couldn't testify in court, but put upon by by Caucasian miners. It 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 was really tough going. And he said, enough that I found that when you, what he told me, said, building this cooking hearth, you see how the stones are stacked and and it's wider than it's two feet on each side and, and it's it's almost three feet back. The stones are uniform. There's a a, a, a mortar of clay that's an inch deep that holds this thing together. It's it's finely built. He said this is built just like those cooking hearths back home. They built this cooking hearth so that when they see it, they think of home. They cook their Chinese meals at this hearth. They're cooking meals that they were they were cooking at home. It came to them that they would never see home again. But in touching this hearth, they were touching home. And they would they would speak to the hearth so that they could speak to their families. Yeah. I mean, that is a powerful, powerful moment and a powerful place. And it's almost, it's, yeah, it's still there. <laughs> that Amazing. hearth is there. And that's, I think captures the spirit of, of what the, what history can bring, what examining the past can bring is, it's not going to strike everybody the same way, but if you spend enough time with it, you know, you will come across those things that are so special. And, and that sounded, that sounded like a very touching moment and a very special moment for that, that um, member of the tour that you were, you were leading, you know, it's, I'm trying to think back, David, I'm trying to think to like my visit, visiting places and things like that. I to see if I have anything similar to that. And I actually think, um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but the Jack London State Park over in Sonoma, it's mm. it, it's a state park dedicated to his, it used to be his ranch. And there's a lot, it's really neat, a lot of artifacts there to explore. And being a, you know, and I think he, he passed away at a pretty young age, early 40s, I want to say. And from, I related to him as a young man. And I relate to that story you just told, like, I can't imagine what that must have been like to be so far from home that you rely on a hearth to bridge that gap. 
you know, and to yeah, the loneliness and homesickness, I can't even, can't even begin to uh, imagine. So it's, I, I would love, I'd be honored to to go there and to walk those trails and to kind of encounter those types of artifacts. So I, I look forward to the, to the next, the trip I, I have out there. We'll do it, Eric. We'll do it. Love it. Love it. No, that sounds great. Um, you answered about four of my next questions in that story. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that that's, um, you know, that's a, a probably a, a great place to start wrapping, wrapping it up. I think, um, with that, that story, it's so, it symbolizes so much about what I love of looking at the past is those artifacts that speak to you at a physical level an emotional level, you know, so many different, different ways. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking the um, uh, people can't, one of the advantages of, of going out to Deer Creek Hills were, sure, we're looking back in time. We're looking back 150, 170 years. And in the case of the the Indians, uh, there were there, uh, some of the stories, you know, we, we'll go back more than, more than 11,700 years because wow. they were there at the time. But it is the distance between us and them gets narrower and shorter and narrower and shorter the closer we get to the land. And finally, we're touching land and we're right there. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're in history. Yeah. No, amazing. Amazing. And, um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask before I forgot. So the Sacramento Valley Conservancy, Deer Creek Hills Preserve, are there any, because I know you're you're still pretty heavily involved with them, along with these zillion other things you're, you're involved <laughs> in. Are there any either programs or events, either either reoccurring ways that folks can can engage or um, you know, some exciting one-off? You know, I know we're entering uh we're yeah, in fall now and approaching the holiday season. Anything going on um over there that you might want to mention? Sure. What I would invite people to do, and we've got a very active uh, professional cadre uh, uh, that puts programs together. Their mm-hmm. programs are going all the time. We have a, another location called Camp Pollock, which used to be a Boy Scout facility on the American mm-hmm. River. It's now uh, it's been taken over by the Sacramento Valley Conservancy. And Camp Pollock uh, has things going on all the time. I, I just was over there last weekend, and, and uh, they were in the midst of a natural uh, 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 plant sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these things, you know, these little pots, and, and they're very, very popular. They were sold out very quickly. Things are going on all the time. So I would, again, I know there's a lot of plugs, but I would invite people to, to check the SacramentoValleyConservancy.org website Mm-hmm. And just click on events and it got, it's really well, you'd love that website, Eric, but it, yeah. everything fits. That's a good website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, um, you know, and I think that, uh, yeah, I'll have to reach out to them. I feel like we've spoken so much about the organization on this podcast. I'll have to reach out to them and let them know that we've got it, you know? Um, and yeah, just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for, you know, you do it the work you do and the work you put in as an interpreter of the past. Cause I think you and I are on the same page that there is, you know, there's always a need, but the current political cultural climate that we're in um, such a need for responsible, knowledgeable 
uh, interpreters of the past, to interpreters of 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 uh, of uh, history. And um, yeah, thank you for what you're doing for that. Oh, very kind. And I I I think one of the the things that I would like to convey to people is be critical in your thinking. Mm-hmm. Don't accept things at face value. Get a little bit deeper. Look into it. History is wonderful. It's exciting, and it helps you think. Awesome. I think that's a great place to wrap up on. David, thanks again for your time. Thank you, Eric. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Sacramento Historical Society's The American Attic. If you'd like to learn more about the Society and upcoming speaker series, please visit sacastoricalsociety.org. If you have ideas for topics and speakers we can engage, drop us a line at admin at sachistoricalsociety.org. See you next time.